Let's pray, and we'll get into Genesis 5. Heavenly Father, uh, here we are once again, gathered together in your name, gathered together because the Spirit of God uh, has drawn us together, because we are members of the household of faith, joint heirs, joint heirs of life, the grace of life. And Father, um, we, we, we believe what the song spoke, Lord, that we have nothing to boast about. Apart from you, we can do nothing. You have saved us. You've gifted us. You've loved us. You have a plan for us, Lord, and, and you're going to receive us to yourself so that where you are, we can be also. And all of this, Lord, everything we have, everything we are, everything we do, anything useful, meaningful in our lives, Lord, um, we, we just bow the knee to you. And we acknowledge without you, Lord, we, we can do nothing. We can do it. But with you, Lord, all things are possible. So I'm excited, Lord, to see what you're going to do in and through our lives as we boldly uh, follow you and unashamedly follow you with our lives in the midst of a dark, dark, and getting darker world. Uh, open our eyes to see wondrous things from your word, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. So Genesis chapter 5, I'm going to start with a question. Uh, again, this, was, this is, I call Genesis 5 the make or break pass, uh, chapter for those trying to read through the Bible because it's a genealogy. Um, so I want to ask this question as we get into it. Has anybody spent some time researching your own family history? And, and if you have, has anybody discovered something significant? Like, is there someone that you're related to that's famous or well-known? You know, some of you guys know I was a blacksmith for many years, uh, worked as a farrier, and, and um, we had a chance to go visit the blacksmith shop. It's, it's local here over in Shannon Hill of a man named Dan Boone. Does that ring a bell? He is Dan Boone the seventh. Now, um, I looked up, did a little bit of research. His shop was beautiful. He's an amazing, amazing blacksmith. And uh, we got to spend a day with him. He's famous for making these dragon heads that are just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, according to family folklore, the Boones have been forging iron since the time of the Vikings. Uh, one man wrote a book called The Boone Blacksmithing Legacy in 1991, and he traced the blacksmithing line back 18 generations from the current Smiths in the family. Uh, again, here local, Dan Boone, the seventh, Tom Boone, um, and then and on back. Dan Boone, uh, Daniel Boone, the famous American hero and explorer, was a farrier blacksmith in George Washington's army. Which, of course, I think is so cool. I'm not related to them at all, but uh, I think that's so cool. So what is it about genealogies? I mean, so it sounds so boring when we read it in the Bible, but we realize that there's something cool about knowing where we've come from and like this link we have to the past, isn't there? Like when you, when you think about that, see my family, I'm, a, I'm Ukraine, of Ukrainian descent. I know I had family involved in the Holocaust. I know I had a, a, a great, 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 you know, uncle who was a freedom fighter during the Holocaust, but I know very little about my family and uh, because of name changes and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know a whole lot, but it's cool that some of you really know and have been able to research back and find out about your family line. So why is that so cool to us? Like, I mean, why, why is it that we like that so much? Any, any thoughts on that? Just say that again? Identity. Yeah, I, I think in some ways it, it sort of tells us where we've come from. It gives us, it explains some things maybe about our lives, about our interests, and, and we sort of have a, this connection to the past. And so look at Genesis chapter 5, because it begins with, 
This is the book of the genealogy of Adam or man. So one of the things I want you to recognize is that we all trace our roots back to the first man. And what we're going to read in Genesis chapter 5 is the genealogy of this first man uh, on from Adam onto Noah. And then, of course, we're all related to each other through Noah because only Noah and his family survived the flood. So every one of us, whatever your skin color, whatever your background, we're all truly of one blood, truly related. So things like racism go out the door. And, and I, you know, I know preaching in, in, a, in a church here, I know most of you, um, and, and I know, you know, as Christians, we know there's, you, you don't hold the faith of God with partiality, that in Christ there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. All those things in Christ get, get blown out the door. Um, but I know that, that in the South there's still some of that that is hung on to. And, I, and so if there's a, if personally, if you still wrestle with racism, I, I want to tell you that the Bible speaks nothing of that. Evolution, you may be able to defend that but not biblically, because we are all clearly of one blood. We all, you know, I got someone cool in my family lineage. His name is Noah, and he's in your family lineage too. Isn't that cool? We, we all go back to, to that. So we've been reading through and seeing this is the genealogy. Now you go, oh, genealogy is so boring, but this is our history. This is the past of why we are where we are and who we are. And we read in chapter 4 uh, about Adam and his wife, and uh, they had another son. We, we've watched the creation. We've seen the fall in Genesis chapter 3. We saw the result of the fall that uh, Adam and Eve naked covered themselves. Then God covered them with the first animal sacrifice with animal skins. And then uh, chapter 4, we see the first murder, Cain, killing his brother Abel, the first death. And it was not a natural death. It was a murderous death. And so Cain's hands covered with the blood of his brother and and then Cain sort of uh, becomes a fugitive after that and now we see uh, in the, at the end of chapter four they have another son his name is, is Seth and he's sort of a uh, not replacement of but he's sort of this gift of God uh, because they lost their son Abel because he was killed God's given them another godly son named Seth so Cain was an ungodly son and we tracked his lineage seven generations from Adam to Lamech. And then we got a highlight there, didn't we? Back in Genesis 4, 19, we found out about this guy named Lamech. He's the seventh generation from Adam. That's significant because there's a, he's, it's like everything stops there. and says, hey, let me tell you about this guy Lamech, right, in Cain's lineage. Well, he took two wives. He was, a, he was into bigamy. And, and he was... He, he was into revenge and all these things that, um, that are brought up about that line of descendants from Adam through Cain. Well, now we're going to go the other direction from Adam through Seth, the godly line. The, uh, the, the, the one that uh, Seth was the replacement for, so to speak, uh, Abel. And look at the last verse in chapter 4. It was at the time of Seth that it says, Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So something is happening. People communally are crying out to the living God together. Now, we talked about that last time we were together previous to Easter. 
And now chapter 5 begins, and it's sort of a fresh start. Uh, This is the book of the genealogy of man, or of Adam. And many would say that this was a document probably compiled before the flood. That this genealogy was preserved by Noah and his family through the flood. This is a very ancient, ancient document and lineage uh, of the lives of these people that led from Adam to Noah, not through Cain, but through Seth. So this is the book of the genealogy of man or of Adam. That's what Adam's name means, just means man, or it comes from the root word for dirt. This is the genealogy of dirt. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that nice? In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. We read that. This is a recap. He created them, male and female, both in his image, and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years. Go for it, Adam. And begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth, which his name means appointed. After he begat Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years. And he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. We're going to see that as a pattern as we go through. They lived long, long lives. So let's just, let's just look at a couple things in this opening paragraph. Then we'll move a little quicker down to the seventh generation, a man named Enoch. We'll spend a little time with him, and then we'll move on to the end of the chapter. So the first thing I want you to notice is the repetition of the word created. Do you see how many times created shows up in these first five verses? God, in, the day, in the day God created. Verse 2, he created. Verse 2, at the end of verse 2, created. On and on. I think there's a message here that God wants us to know. He wants to remind us that you were created, that we were created. Not evolution, not, I don't look back in my family tree and see a baboon or, well, maybe there's a guy, you know. um, I've seen some pictures, no. But created, this this is the God created, male and female. And look how long Adam lived. He lived 130 years before he gives birth, or before Eve gives birth to this replacement son for Abel, Seth. So, man, 130 years, no, it's, does anybody live that long anymore? I mean, if there's someone that's alive to 130 years, that's rare. In that day, Adam was a pup, you know, at 130 years old, because he goes on to live for uh, 930 years altogether. Lives another 800 years after that. Man, you want to talk about trying to keep up with birthdays and stuff, birthday cards, when you live that long and you have that many kids? We talked about where did, where did Cain get his wife? Where he had not just Cain and Abel, but many sons and daughters in that time. Look at verse 3. Adam lived 130 years, and he begot, or gave, they gave birth to, a son in his own likeness. Now that's different, isn't it? Because Adam and Eve were created, or Adam was created in the image of God. And then Eve built from Adam's side. But so this is different. Now Adam gives birth to a son, and that son is in Adam's image. And in some ways we see that's true. I coached soccer for years, and I'd know the kids, that, you know, parents would drop off the kids, and they'd run around the field, and then at the end of practice they'd pick them up. And every so often then I'd, I'd you know, get to know the kids, and then I'd see the parents. i go, oh, yeah, I, clearly, you know, you are clearly, that's... You, you, look, you look just alike, you know? And, we be, and unfortunately, we behave alike sometimes, right? We see our kids, we go, oh, you poor thing. 
And then sometimes I'll do something, I go, oh, that was my dad. You know, that I'm created in the image of my parents, and so are you. you created in the image of, of yours. And in Adam's case, what had happened to that image of God, it had, it had, fall, it had become marred because Adam's image was a fallen image. So from Adam, everybody else after that has been created in that fallen image. That's why when Jesus comes to uh, Nicodemus, and Nicodemus, uh, they're talking, and Nicodemus, a good Jew, thinks, man, he's set because of his lineage, because he traces his lineage back to Abraham, you know? Well, Abraham, too, was uh, fallen. And so Jesus says to Abraham, I mean, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say Abraham. Jesus says to Nicodemus, when, when Nicodemus says, hey, I, I trace my, my family back to Abraham. I'm good with God. Abraham was a man of God. I trace back to him. I'm good because of who I'm related to. Well, you know, God has no grandchildren, only children. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, no, Nicodemus, you must be born again. See, it doesn't, it's not, being a Christian is not about showing up at church and carrying a Bible and, and being able to quote verses and wearing the right clothes and attending the right classes and all that. All that, all that Nicodemus could have said. Nicodemus was the most wise, uh, educated rabbi. He was the leader in the, of the Jews. If anybody was good with God based on those things, it would have been him. And he says to him, no, Nic- Nicodemus, you have to be born again. That's what it's about. You were born in the likeness of Adam into sin. And, and there's nothing you can do to fix that. Except for that person who was born in Adam has to die. And be born, and you have to be born again spiritually. Born once, your physical birth, then you die twice. You die a physical birth and you die a spiritual death. Excuse me, you die a physical death and a spiritual death. But if you're born twice then you die once. Born once, die twice. Born twice, physical birth, spiritual birth, then you only die once, physical death, and spiritually live forever. And so that's when he says born, uh, born in, his, in, in his image, in his likeness, after his image, that's what we're talking about. Names him Seth after he begets Seth, 800 years, sons and daughters, all the days of Adam, 930 years. And this is the real kicker. And he died. To that, in Genesis chapter 5, we'll see that repeated. That's never happened before. I mean, what, to watch him age to, uh, I mean, again, that's a long life, isn't it? 930 years, that, you can accomplish a lot. I mean, think of the kind of uh, retirement package you could have by then, you know? All those years of savings. And, but they had, what, what were they, what must they have been thinking as they watched his life leave him as they realize that when God said, you know, it, 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 that the consequences of sin will be death. And the day you eat of it, surely you'll die. They didn't die immediately, but the death process began when sin began. And we are all subject to every human being that the proof that sin exists is that death exists. And in that day when Adam died, that was a first when Adam died. And they had never seen that before, never experienced that natural death, his life leaving his body that way. Verse 6 says, Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth 
for 912 years. And there it is again, folks, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. So it's like this march that happens. And every time I stand here and I do a funeral, I said, the march is still on. You know, we'll gather together for funerals week after week or year after year until it's my turn. And then you'll gather for my funeral. And, it, and this is the result, the consequence of sin. But it is, we are not left without hope. Now I want you to hang with me here for a little bit longer. Verse 12, Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalalalalalal. Mahalalalalalal. After he begot Mahalalal, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. So not every child is listed in the lineage. These are, spe- are picked out of the lineages for very specific purposes, which we'll talk about as we continue on. Verse 15, Mahalalel lived 65 years. He was just a baby when he begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years, begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And right now you're saying, see, I knew the genealogies were boring. Well, hang tight, because God loves to hide stuff in the Bible. Because he, 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 he rewards diligence. God rewards diligence, diligent study. Do you know that? Study, Paul said to Timothy, to show yourself approved to God, a worker that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved. God is, is available to those. When Jesus, look, Jesus told parables, didn't he? He told, he, he, I was just sharing this at the soup kitchen Friday. Jesus tells the parable of the four soils, right? And they're all going, well, what's he talking about? You know, with four soils and he's telling a story about, about dirt and seeds and, you know, a farmer. And, and at the end of it, he tells a story and, and the disciples are like, what do you think he's talking about? I don't know. We, we should ask him. Yeah, let's ask him. So they go, Jesus, what, is, what does that all mean? And he goes, man, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. He told parables because he goes on to say, let him who has ears to hear, hear. Because some people don't have ears to hear. Some people don't care. And so when, when Jesus tells a parable, you can go, yeah, that was a nice story. What does it mean? I don't care. Let's go get lunch. You know, what does that mean? I don't know. Doesn't, I don't care. I don't want to know. Doesn't bother me any. But some people go, what was that all about? I don't, it must have been important because Jesus said it. So maybe we should, if we don't know, maybe we should ask. So they go to Jesus. And they, I'm glad you asked why. Because I spoke in parables so that, so that no, those that want to know can understand the truth. And those that don't want to know can remain hidden from it. To him who has, more will be given. To him who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken. To him who has what? Ears to hear. To him who has diligence to study, more will be given. So as we come into chapter 5, you go, ah, it's just a genealogy. There's nothing there. And then we get down to verse 21, and we read about this guy, Enoch. He's the seventh generation from Adam on the godly side. He's going to be a comparison to Lamech. Now look what happens. 
Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. How many of you heard of that name before? That guy's as old as Methuselah. Well, now you know where that comes from. That was worth the Bible study right there, right? Now you know where that comes from. Methuselah is the oldest human uh, life ever recorded as being lived. But we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, Enoch lived 65 years, begot a son named Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So that's a little bit new, right? We learned something new about this guy named Enoch. 300 years. We have trouble walking with God for 50 years and being consistent. Enoch has this reputation. God says about him, he walked with God for 300 years in the midst of all the, you know, we're, we're working to the flood. It's not a pretty world that they live in. There's a lot of depravity. There's a lot of more moral decline in those days. So much so that God's going to bring the flood to bring judgment on the whole world. And in those days, Enoch has this testimony while everybody else is doing their thing, living in sin, living for pleasure. Enoch has this testimony. He walked with God. That's a great testimony. So in terms of the man, Enoch, let's look over to Hebrews chapter 11 for a second. You got that mark, right? So we would be able to uh, get there quickly. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. Look down at Hebrews 11, verse 5. Because the writer of Hebrews goes back to this guy, Enoch. His, his reputation is so great. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Well, now, wait a second. Hold, keep your finger there. You got one finger in Hebrews, one finger in Genesis. Go back to Genesis for just a second. After he begot uh, Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. He had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. He didn't live very long, did he? Relative to everybody else who's living 900 years, 800 years. Enoch was like, he wasn't even over the hill yet. You know, you're not even over the hill till you're 500. For us, over the hill is what? 70? No, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be generous there. Because I, I ain't getting over the hill. And Enoch, verse 24, walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Well, that's different. Everything else was, he lived so-and-so, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Not Enoch. He had this testimony, he walked with God, and then the Bible says of him, he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Literally, um, moved him or transferred him or translated him. Now go back. You got that finger in Hebrews. Go back there. Now you understand why the writer of Hebrews says, by faith Enoch was taken away, transferred, changed places. Enoch did not see physical death. That's crazy. We'll talk about that. He was taken away. Uh, he did not see death and was not found because he had taken him. So that's a, a quote of Genesis for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So there's a comparison, synonymous statements, to walk with God means to please God. And, I, and that's a good question, isn't it, for this morning? You know, you can say, well, what you, I show up to church, you know, I, I, I read my Bible. The question is, 
Do you have this testimony that you walk with God? Now, to walk with God doesn't mean that, you know, that God is like on your leash and you're walking on, come on, God, you know, we're going this way, God. To walk with God means that you follow him. Amos said, how can two people walk together if they disagree? So to walk with God means to line, God says, I'm going to go on, a, I'm, going, I'm following a path. And if you want to join me, you're welcome to join me on my path. To walk with God means to live a life that pleases him. To live a life where you say, God, what do you want? And it's clearly recognizable, isn't it? When a person walks with God to please God. Look at, look at what he says next. Verse 6, this is following on Enoch. This is a famous passage many of us know. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Enoch had faith. He trusted God. In the midst of that dark generation, he trusted God. He trusted God so much, he was willing to walk with him in the midst of all that. And that was his reputation. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, without that kind of faith that trusts God, that walks with God, it's impossible to please God. You can't have that life that Enoch had without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For, it, listen, he who comes to God must believe first that he is. You have to believe that God is. You can't walk with a God you don't believe exists. So if you're agnostic or atheistic, you can never please God. Because it says you can't. You, you, if, if you want to please God, without faith it's impossible. You'll never do the things God is looking for without faith. You'll never be who God wants you to be without faith. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and look at the next part, and that he is a rewarder of who? Those that are casually interested in him? Those that are, you know, passively thinking about him? Who's God? Where's the reward, folks? For those who diligently seek him. What does it mean to be diligent? That's sort of like to be given to something, right? To be intentional about something. And, and I've seen that. I mean, I, that, I understand that. I see that. I, 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 I've experienced that myself. Have you experienced that? I've, I've seen the value, the reward of not just, the, there is no reward in, in being lukewarm. There is no, there's, you will not grow in your faith by taking a casual, complacent, lukewarm attitude about things. You won't. It's just, you, you'll never do, you'll never take any steps of courage. You'll never take any steps of obedience. You'll never do anything that really requires faith in your life. But when you do, when you go, oh God, when, you, when, you, when something happens in your life, when something happens at work or in your family, and you spread out your Bible, and you go, oh God, you know, I'm not looking to Oprah or Dr. Phil or the people at the office or the people over here. I'm looking to you, God, for help. And I'm looking to you, God, for truth. Man, that is a rewarding. The result of that is very, very rewarding when you diligently, daily, have a regular practice of seeking God. It's a rewarding life, I tell you. It it may not be the life of, of abundance. It may not be the life of material abundance. It may not be the life of that the guy down the road has with his fancy house and his fancy car and all that stuff. But none of that stuff leads you anywhere good anyway. What do you want out of life, really? And what, what at the end of your life is really going to matter? Are we all going to sit around at your funeral and go, you know, he had cool stuff. No, you know what's going to happen with your cool stuff? Your kids are going to 
get mad at each other about wanting your cool stuff. When you die, can I have your iPhone? You know, that's what they, they're just, they don't care about you. Just want the stuff. You know, buy lots of cool stuff so I can have it when you die. Because you ain't taking it with you. So what really matters? What's the testimony? I mean, Enoch, when they bury him, well, they don't bury him. But if they did, his headstone would say, Enoch walked with God. I mean, what more could there be said at my death, at my funeral, than Steve was a man who walked with God? I just love the beautiful simplicity of that. So I don't know where you are with that. I don't know if you've ever given your life to Christ or been willing to, to take that step to trust God. That's where it starts. And he is a rewarder. of. You have to believe that he is. And you also, by faith, you believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I dare you to test that out. I dare you to say, to diligently seek God and to come to me two years from now, spend a year, two years, three years, diligently seeking God, and then come and tell me the result. You come and tell me, you know what? I diligently sought God the last three years, and boy, was that a waste. Ah, I would have been much better playing the lottery. I would have been much better, you know, you know heaping up technology. What? I dare you. Dilig- not just casually. Don't play the game. Don't, don't do that to yourself. Be honest with yourself. If you're going to seek God, my dad always taught me, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And if following God is worth doing, it's worth doing diligently. Is it not? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Back to uh, Genesis 5. So that's the man, um, Enoch. Uh, Interesting, one other thing I want to mention to you. I didn't ask you to turn there, but I'll read it. Enoch was also a prophet. Because he walked with God, he also heard from God. And those two things go hand in hand. If you want to hear from God... You diligently walk with him. And then you'll find yourself going, oh, I never hear from God. I don't know. Well, diligently walk with him. Then you're close enough because God speaks in a still small voice. You, you walk with God. You're close enough to hear what he's saying. If God's walking here and you're kind of going, I'm doing my own thing and God says something over there, but what, what was that God? I can't really hear you. I don't really know what you're saying because you're so far from me. So Enoch, because he walked with God, because he pleased God, he heard from God. Look at what Jude says about Enoch. This is in the book of Jude, just before Revelation. Speaking about those that have gone in the way of Cain, we read that a a while back. He talks about their ungodliness, uh, their clouds without water, carried about by the winds, trees without fruit, twice pulled up by the roots. That doesn't sound good. Like waves that are foaming up to their own shame. Um, he, He goes on, and it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and on all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch saw, back in those days, he saw not the first coming of Christ only. He saw the second coming of Christ. When Christ comes with ten thousand of his saints, the second coming of Christ, to, to pronounce judgment on the world. So that was a prophetic thing. But I want to tell you one other thing. If you would put up that slide, Phil. Um, man, I wish we had more time. You thought Genesis 5. was like, what are we going to preach out of Genesis 5? Tons of stuff here. Back to Genesis. What did he name his son again? Enoch, what's his son's name? Methuselah. Huh, Methuselah. Now what, look at that chart. 
What do you see that happens in conjunction with something to do with Methuselah? What's that little blue line that comes down? That's the flood. Do you know what Methuselah's name means? His death shall bring. His death. So when Methuselah, little, little baby Methuselah is just born, Enoch hears from God. And God tells Enoch, when your little baby boy, Methuselah, he's going to get really old. But when he dies, judgment will come. So I imagine if they watched him every day like, is today the day? You know, is today the day? Is he gonna, how you feeling? Do you have a temperature? You know, I'm talking about a helicopter mom, you know. Oh, Methuselah's sick. Oh, no, today could be the day. You know, get ready. Judgment's coming. But so his name is prophetic, and he dies. You can do the math. Uh, it's been done many times before. In the exact year of the flood is the year that Methuselah dies. Methuselah dies. I don't believe he died in the flood. I believe he died just before the flood. And then it was in that that the flood came, uh, or that year that the flood came. Also, look how, many, look how many generations Adam knew as you look through the years of their lives. Gen- Adam knew his, let me see, his great-grandkids times six. So Adam knew Jared. Adam knew Enoch. They knew each other. Lived, uh, in, in, uh, coexisted together. In his death shall bring... so. Enoch had this message about to the ungodly world that judgment was coming and it was going to come when his son would die. And, and you know, we as preachers sometimes get, get in trouble. Wow, hellfire and brimstone and, you know, preaching judgment. Look, salvation, the gospel, the good news, doesn't mean anything without an understanding of coming judgment. That's what makes it that's what makes it understandable that Enoch preached and we preach today that there is a time when Jesus Christ is coming back to judge the ungodly world. Those that have rejected God, those that have done ungodly things, flying in the face of God, and that someday, to be fair, God had said those things would be, that sin has to be judged. Sin for us was judged on the cross. It was all dealt with there for us. We're not appointed to wrath, but to salvation. But for those that reject God, there is a, a coming time of judgment. Now, now, the last thing, we know about the man, we know about the message. His move is very interesting, that he, he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, that wasn't a punishment, was it? I'm like, you know, I'm thinking, man, God probably looked at Enoch, and go, man, you, at the end of Hebrews 11, says the, the, all these people of faith, the world was not worthy of them. All these people that lived and died in faith, God says, and, and these are men and women that the world was not worthy of. And so I wonder if God looked at Enoch, not as a punishment, but as a reward. Enoch, you've been living for me. Guess what? I'm going to bring you to be with me. 300, you know, you're not going to, Enoch, now God, I want to live another 800 years on this ungodly earth with all the stuff that's going on. You know, we come to a funeral and go, oh man, we're so sad. I'm like, and praise the Lord, this person is, they, they, we just had uh, Aline's funeral recently, and I'm thinking, what a, you know, she missed tax season. I'm like, wow, you know, I got to wrestle with taxes and figuring the IRS stuff out. I'm like, if I'm going to go, I want to go between January and April. You know, I want to miss tax season. You can tell where my mind is. But all the stuff, that, you know, that in, the, in the world that we got to deal with, and we, we fear e- Enoch 
walk with God. And God took him. God said, Enoch, I want you to be where I am. You've always wanted it. But now I'm going to let it be your reality. Now, I also had you mark 1 Corinthians 15, right? Because Enoch didn't die. This is a picture of what we call the rapture. Before judgment comes, Enoch doesn't die. He's just removed from the earth. Now, pastor, how does that happen? I have absolutely no idea. I have absolutely no idea. But the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. This is the passage on the resurrection. And he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now know that. Flesh and blood, this body, this human body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It, this, this is my atom body. This is my dusty, dirty body. My, this is the body connected to the life of Adam. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery, and it is, we shall not all sleep, that was our way of saying die, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now a lot of people say this is the verse we need to get and write it in the nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So when Jesus Christ returns for his church, the time we call the rapture, there will be people that have already died. We're, we're saying goodbye to them year after year, right? They die. At that time of the rapture, they will be raised incorruptible. But what about those people that are on the earth alive when that happens? We don't die. Those, those that are alive and remain on the earth, when Jesus comes back, they're just instantly transformed, changed, translated, raptured, taken from earth, somehow getting the incorruptible body on the way up to meet Jesus in the air where there's a tremendous reunion of those that have died, those that are alive at the time of the second coming, the beginning of the second coming of Christ. Now, again, do I understand that? Paul even says, it's a mystery. I don't get it, but I absolutely believe it. Every time God wants to do something, he always gives us a presence. So we say, well, rapture, how could that possibly happen? He says, check out Genesis 5. I did it with Enoch. And there were evidently witnesses. He, there, he was there one minute and he was gone. Where'd he go? Going to be with God. They knew it. So back to Genesis 5. I'll leave that there for you to do some more uh, research on. We have to finish the chapter. So God uh, took him. Methuselah lived 187 years. Begot Lamech. Lamech um, after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. What a life, man. What can you accomplish in, 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 how good could you get at your career if you lived 969 years? Man, I could be a great blacksmith or preacher in that many years. Lamech lived 182 years, had a son, called his name Noah, saying, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So even at that time, recognizing just the work involved with getting food out of the ground, the weeds, the, the curse was active. And so there was some, for some reason, when they had Noah, they thought, ah, we're going to get some help. This guy is going to help us 
with this toil and this, uh, because of the ground that was cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years, had sons and daughters, um, and all his days were 777 years. He died. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we, we're up to the time of Noah. But before we finish, I want to show you one thing. Because I told you, names are meaningful, right? Didn't we agree that, that people, Eve and Adam named Seth appointed because he was the one appointed in replacement for Abel. And Abel's name meant something, and Cain's name meant something. So the names mean stuff. And this genealogy is important. And I want you to look, talk about being God rewarding, diligent seeking. Adam's name means man or mankind. Seth's name means appointed. We talked about that. Enosh, his name means mortal or mortal man. Canaan, his name means sorrow. Mahalalalalalalal. His name means praise God or bless God or the blessed God. Jared shall come down or to descend. Enoch, by the way, his name means teacher or teaching. Enoch was a teacher. Methuselah, his son, we talked about that. His death shall bring. Bring what? Judgment. The flood would come in the year he, he uh, died. Lamech, his name means the despairing or to despair. Noah, his name means rest or comfort. Now, Put it together, folks. What's it say? Man is appointed mortal sorrow in the garden. Sin brought what? Death. And death brings sorrow. We're always sad at funerals. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. But the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. Now, you put it together, folks, but that's the gospel, is it not? Hidden. Uh, Maybe you go, I I don't know if I buy that. Well, do the research yourself. Do the research yourself. Jesus told the guys on the road to Emmaus that uh, from, from Moses through the prophets, it's all about me. It's all about me. So even hidden in the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5, we have the gospel message that man was appointed to mortal sorrow. That we died. When Adam died, we died with him. Through his disobedience, many died. But through one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, that God came down and has been uh, reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ so that the despairing people, that without Christ, we would have no hope of life. But God came down so that we who are despairing in our mortality could have hope for rest and comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, we can have eternal life. Isn't that awesome? So as we stand and the praise team comes forward, I just want to invite you that that you see that the Bible is an amazing, amazing book, divinely inspired, including Genesis chapter 5. All Scripture is God-inspired. And God wants to invite you. He's asked me to beg you to be reconciled to God. So as the praise team closes with a final song, I'll be seated on the steps over here. If you'd like to know God as your Lord, if you'd like to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then please join me down here.